Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, Pastor Murphy showed us the reason that fallen man behaves the way he does is because he has no fear of God. Today, we'll continue to see how the fear of God is being lost, even in Christianity. All right, if you got your Bibles, I would like you to turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 3, the book of Romans chapter 3, and then also I'd like you to pick up one verse in the book of Psalms um, chapter 36. Romans chapter 3. And then Psalms 36. My text this morning is going to be taken from verse uh, 18 of Romans chapter 3. But I I would like us to commence our reading from verse number 10. um, So that you'll get the context of this passage. Romans chapter 3. And I'm reading from verse number 10. As it is written, There is none righteous. No, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. They're all gone out of the way. They're all together become unprofitable. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of ass is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursings and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. And then our text. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And if you... Turn with me to Psalm chapter 36. You'll see where David got that text, uh, where Paul got that text from in verse 18 of Romans chapter 3. In uh, Psalms 36 and verse number 1, David writes, The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart, There is no fear of God before their eyes. The transgression of the wicked saith within my heart that there is no fear of God before their eyes. And so, gradually and systematically, we now have the rise of neo-paganism. And it is all happening because the fear of God has gone from the land. Could I tell you something else that you may not know about? Christianity changed the world's art and the world's music. It gave the world the best art and the best music. Whether you know it or not. Change it completely. When a man said he doesn't like Bach or Beethoven, it tells you a lot about that man. A lot about him. The masters of art. Now today, a man can 
drink something, they make him vomit and spit it on the wall and it's art. Did you know that? Today a man can urinate in a big vial and take the cross and put it upside down. And that's on display as art. It's because we don't know the history of the church. And I know there's a lot of people who knock the Christianity and so on and so on. They don't understand. They don't understand. They don't know. They look on the bad side of it. And they don't fully appreciate the impact it has had. Consequently, we have been muted into silence. And now we have the rise of neo-paganism. The point I'm making here this morning is that when the Christian church created the fear of God in the hearts of men, it was a controlling deterrent on man's immorality. It caused men to live in the fear of God. And when you live in the fear of God, you live a moral life. Don't make no bones about that. So when Paul says in this chapter, he comes to the conclusion, I've told you all of that. All of that, the condition of man, the consequences, the, the conduct of man. But here is the reason behind all that has happened. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That's the cause of it. Now I want to quote and use some illustrations that will shock you that is going on right now in contemporary Christianity. I just received a first chapter of a book from Dr. Eveling. You know, I call her Babs. She's writing the book called Christianity in Crisis. And about two weeks ago, she sent me the first chapter. And she said, Dave, critique this and make any suggestions and so on and so forth. It is going to be a gem when it is finished. Because the, the first chapter is an amazing chapter in itself. Um, she's able to take so many biblical allusions and weave them into the modern context. I had to compliment her for the ease with which she does that. But as I read that first chapter, she spoke about several modern scenarios that not what somebody says that has really, really happened. And she, she gives the, the reference and the, you can, it's documented what is going on in modern Christianity. Let me cite some of the things that she cited in the book and have documented. Listen to this. An apostle has a wife in one country and makes preparation to marry a woman in another. Yet he's an apostle. This is not fiction, friend. This is what is happening in the contemporary church. Here's another one. A prophet leads Bible study faithfully each week. But he regularly abuses his children and his wife in the home. It's a known fact. But still, he's a prophet. Here's another one. Divorce, remarried. Divorce, remarried. Divorce, remarried. Yet this man of God is praising the Lord for his fourth wife. This is what is going on in the contemporary church. Listen to this other one. A divorced evangelist marries a divorced apostle. And together they go about to establish a new church. 
I'm not talking about ancient, I'm talking modern paganism in the church. Here's another one. A Christian woman has just divorced her second husband. And she leaves her church to pastor a new church. Wow. You think that is bad? A young man sets up a website proclaiming that he is gay and thanks God for making him gay. Christian young man. This is contemporary Christianity. This is neo-paganism. It's not only outside in the world, it has entered the church. Let me give you two others. A group of Christian young people are uncertain about a woman's right to have an abortion. Now how can you be uncertain about a woman's right to have an abortion? Abortion is murder. So how can you as a Christian be uncertain that abortion is wrong? There's no uncertainty about that. But that's the kind of people we have in the church. The last one, a mature Christian lady stoutly defends a woman's right to abortion as part of her female sex, sexuality, and her reproductive rights. Now, a, a young person, you might even pardon them uh, being a little bit lenient, but a mature Christian believe it's a woman's reproductive right to murder her own child? But could there be any Christian sitting here this morning who have doubts about when life is a life, life begins at conception. That is not only a biblical teaching, that is what the Hippocratic oath thought for years. It's only in modern times we've shifted. But all the science shows that life begins at con a human begins at conception. You can take that egg. And that, that, that sperm and that, and you could take it out of a test tube if it were possible and feed it and feed it and it would develop into a human being. Yeah, you know, if I went to America today and I kill one eagle's egg, I get in prison. One egg, you know. I'm put in prison for killing one eagle's egg because they're what? An endangered species. The most endangered species is humanity. I'm saying to you that Christianity is now redefining itself. And it has removed the element of fear out of Christianity. And it has replaced it. Replaced it with a false concept of love. Fear is now anathema in the Christian church. You can't mention it. You, you can't tell people, fear God, there's wrath to come. They're offended. So what we have today is what I call a universal, all-inclusive, non-judgmental, all-accepting, omni-tolerant, ubiquitous love. That's what we have. And out of that love, they have developed a new ethic. 
that is no tolerance, acceptance, and personal choice. That is the ethic that has come from this new concept of love. And I repeat to you, we got here not by accident. We got here not by some mystery. We got here because the church stopped preaching the fear of God. And because men no longer fear God, they're now emboldened. Emboldened to live however they want to, do whatever they want to. You know why? There's nothing to fear. And that's the church is doing. It's a sad commentary. A very sad commentary. That the church has actually been responsible for creating this monstrosity today. Paul says, there is no fear of God before the eyes. And Paul is driving home this fact. Now you notice that I ask you to turn to Psalms chapter 36. Turn there for just a minute. And verse 1. Because when the Apostle Paul is coming to a conclusion of his case, he's been saying some very terrible things about humanity. And surely he must have suspected that some people would oppose what he's saying. So to vindicate all that he said, Paul goes into the Old Testament, rummages the Old Testament, and he brings one verse after another after another. But then he had to find a cause. What's the cause of all of this? He went into the Psalms. And he found Psalm 36 verse 1. And Paul said, aha, light came on. Now I understand. This is why man is the way that he is. This is how he got to this state. There is no fear of God before their eyes. But you notice, if you look at um, Psalm 36 verse number 1. It's a rather odd construction, the way David uh, writes this passage. And notice what he says, The transgression of the wicked safe within my heart that there's no fear of God before his eyes. What David is saying is this, When I look at man's depravity, when I look at man living a life of transgression and rebellion before God, when I try to think what does that, David says, my heart tells me, that there's no fear of God before. In other words, by looking at human depravity, David said, my heart's conclusion is this. There's no fear before the eyes. Now remember that David is not just writing words. The Holy Spirit has revealed to David. See? That's why he said, the transgression of the wicked, safe within my heart. When I look at all that is happening, and I look at the wicked and, and their wickedness and their transgression, David said, it says within my heart, what? There is no fear of God before the eyes. That's the conclusion the Spirit of God has led me to. That all of this wickedness is a result of man losing his fear of God. That was David's ultimate explanation. And I believe it's a valid explanation. Can I say to you that the emotional fear is a powerful deterrent check behavior? Every child knows that. Every child knows that. 
You think a child obeys you because he loves you? <laughs> you live in another planet. The reason why that child obeys you is because they know one thing. If they don't listen, there are consequences. She don't say, I love you so much, Daddy. Mommy, I love you so much. I will never do anything wrong. I'll always please you because I love you. That child ain't born yet. The reason why a child obeys and does what is right because there are painful consequences. The rod is there. It's a deterrent. By the way, is not the emotion of love also a deterrent for adults? Of course it is. Look, I've seen a puny little policeman standing up there and all these big vehicles and all these big people. And he does like that. This little puny policeman. Why do you think that I was there? Who are you, man? Who are you? Who are you to stop me? See? The fear of consequences. It's a deterrent. Why do you think people... Insure the vehicle and do the license up there. You think they want to? Is there anybody here that pay taxes because you want to? But you fear the arm of the law. Fear is a deterrent. It makes you act a certain way. So not only the children but also the adults. But it used to be that the school children feared. I don't think they fear any longer. I want to tell you something about me. And uh, this is not something I'm proud about. I would have been a dodo and a dunce if the rod, I didn't know that the rod was coming if I didn't do a, get a certain grade in school. The school I went to, when you get below 70, the question wasn't if, what will happen to you? But the teacher would say, okay, who didn't get 70? And you line up. You line up. You ever heard the bamboo yet? Or you ever had it, heard the strap, the bamboo in your bottom, and the strap in your back? The only thing that made me learn was licks. You think I learned because I love to learn? I love reading. Anybody here love to read at school? Study at school? There was a time when children feared teachers because they know if they didn't do certain things, teachers could, could whip them. Now that is gone. Now we are trying to figure out why the academic level of children have deteriorated so badly. Because we've taken away one of the important tools in bringing children in line. It is called corporal punishment. It's applying the Board of Education to the seat of learning. See, That's what it is called. But we've taken away that now. Now we are wondering why such school failure, why children are doing so poorly in school. And by the way, it's not just the, 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 the that's why people send the kids to the primary, to the uh, Christian school. We still practice corporal punishment in here, by the way. Children still get licks. And why do you think parents are always sending children to these Christian schools? Because there's something called discipline. 
The emotional fear is a deterrent. But when that fear is gone, the deterrent is gone. And then there's a slide in society. I read an article recently, and I smiled when I read it. They said that when you're harsh on crime, it doesn't help. I said, who are you fooling? Who in the world are you? What research you did? Let me ask you a question. Which man in here, if another man murders another man, he is taken down to the center of St. John's, he is hung up before a thing, and his neck is popped, and you watch that and tell me no fear. You tell me no fear. You fear. But we are now living in an age where we are now no more lenient towards the criminal than we are towards the victim. Because everybody is a victim. Fear is gone. It's gone from society because the church has refused to preach it. It is gone from government. It is gone from... There are people today who don't even fear that they'll lose their job in government. They no longer fear these things. And then they wonder why the, the people sass the boss. And there's such a bad morale because you can't get rid of people who are troublemakers. I discovered that since I've been here at this school, at this church. I discovered that to get rid of anybody, you've got to send them three letters. Three letters. Imagine that. So if you tell me you got to, I got to get, and by the way, they tell you that, you know. When we had to deal with one of the cleaners in our church here, I used to do the inspections and go and check the bathrooms, and I see a man alive. You know, all the shelves dirty, all the place dirty. Uh, you know, you, you need to clean it up. Then clean it up. So I go on back in the chair, I complained again. I said, listen, you're going to lose your job, you know. There are people looking for jobs. You've got kids in the school, you've got to keep the place clean. You know what she tell me? You've got to give me three letters, you know. I said, three letters? All right, here's number one. I went and gave her number one. And then again, I went around inspecting again, and uh, again and again. I, I, you're not doing the job. You're not doing the job. You, you, if you, you can look, give her number two. Then she got number three. She was gone. You know where she went? Labor department. The labor department called me. And I said to them, let me give you a whole history of the situation. I am the pastor of this church. I, I inspect. What did, I warned her once, twice, and she told me I got to give her three letters. So I gave her three letters. Look, labor unions are good. Don't misunderstand me. But I believe sometimes they overserve their purpose. See? Totally overserve them. They are so much on the side of the worker. By the way, you, if you don't believe me, you start a business and you will see the problem you have. Oh yeah, you start a business, Jen, see the problem you have with, with, with people who come to work for you. So they're always saying that, you know, labor and management, oh, they want the money, they want the money, they don't want to pay the workers. But you, you start a business. Then you see the problem. What I'm saying to you this morning is that there's a legitimate emotion called fear. That is a deterrent. And when that emotional fear is removed, the deterrent is gone, and society slides down a path. And that's where we are. 
I have a problem. I'm a self-confessed problem. I don't wear a seatbelt. If you're a police in here, Brother Chris is there, you've he, he got to watch me, right? But I don't, I don't normally wear a seatbelt. It's something about a seatbelt. I just put on a seatbelt. I just, I just, it's not deliberate. It's just that I don't remember. That's the truth. I just get in the car and just move off. Chris, you've got to watch me, right? <laughs> but you know, this week, they got this guy, Dave Barber, here with me. So I decided to take Dave Barber around the island. I'd gone down in, um, in St. John's to show him St. John's. And I am... I am going across here, and the police is right there. And he do me like this. Stop me. He said, do you know the laws in Antigua about wearing your seatbelt? I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> I was very courteous to him. I said, yeah, yes, sir. I, I, yeah. He said, well, look, put on your seatbelt. I said, yes, sir. And you know, you know what's happening now? Guess what's happening? Seatbelt time. You know how many times my, my son has told me, Daddy, put on your seatbelt. Get on your seatbelt. But you see, it's only when I see that cop and I realize, how much money I got to pay now? I understand it's 150 or something. I don't know what it is. It might be more than that. Chris will tell me. But when I, when I think the thought hit me, but here's the point. The deterrent is the stricture of law. The fear element. Suppose you told me, Pastor, I love you so much. Have a good day. Jesus loves you. Do you think that would have changed my behavior? But that's exactly what we've been doing in society. We've removed the fear element. Now don't misunderstand me. Love is a higher virtue and a higher motive. But the Bible never excludes one to the other. And I will show you that when I do what is called the theology of fear. I will show you that God commands us to not only fear him in the Old Testament, but to fear him in the New Testament too. He commands us to, to love him in the Old Testament and to love him in the New Testament too. So fear and love are not mutually exclusive. God doesn't say that love will remove fear. He says, you must fear me. And by the way, in the book of Acts, you look at the New Testament church about three different times in the book of Acts. It says, and the fear of God was among them. The church. But is it among us? Is it in the modern church? Look, Solomon went on the journey in the book of Ecclesiastes. And you know what Solomon's journey was? It was this. Where in all of life can a man find meaning and satisfaction? Where can he find meaning and satisfaction? And Solomon in his journey went four or five different ways to find meaning and satisfaction. You remember the story? Solomon tried lust. He's a man that had 300 wives and 800 concubines. Can you imagine that? A thousand women? Fellas, three for each meal. See? Three for lunch, three for supper, and three for breakfast. But he didn't find it there. And then Solomon went to learning, pursued every form of knowledge you can find. But guess what? He didn't find it there. 
And then Solomon turned to liquor, wine. He said, finally, wine is a mocker and strong drink is raging. He that is deceived thereby is not wise. But he didn't stop there. It's not in lust or women. It is not in um, liquor. It's not in learning. Where else is there love? Then Solomon did something else. He turned, he turned to what is called the labor of his hand. He built massive structures. He became a scientist where he got all kinds of exotic animals from all over the world. He planted a botanical garden. He planted all kinds of trees. And he would walk in those things to meditate. Maybe he will find meaning. But even in the works of his hand, he said this is all vanity. But it's something else he did. He turned to music. Read, read. It's all in Ecclesiastes. Chapter 1 to 3. Music. He got me men singers and male singers and all kinds of singers. And it wasn't found there. Where is their meaning? Where is their satisfaction? The last thing Solomon turned to. He said, I turned to the Lord. And I found the answer to meaning and satisfaction. Now, he comes to the last chapter of Ecclesiastes chapter 12. Listen to what he says. Hear the conclusion of the matter. What's it? Fear God and keep his commandments. Fear God and keep his commandments. Not love God. And keep. Fear God. And don't confuse love with fear. Okay? Fear and love are two different things. If you want to say love God and keep his commandments, no problem. Fear God. Listen to me. Saints love God, but the sinner must fear God. That's the difference. See, you must bring the sinner under fear before he can come under love. And that's where we have failed. Miserably failed. Can I show you one last verse and then we'll be off? You come back, I'm going to do what I call the theology of fear. Look with me at one last verse of scripture, Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. I want to ask you a question. Here's it. Is fear a legitimate reason for a person to escape wrath and to enjoy deliverance and salvation? You should not hesitate on that question. Look at Noah in verse 8. Verse 7 of chapter 11. By faith, Noah being warned of God of what? Things not seen as yet. Move with what? Fear. See, See that? Fear. He had never seen rain. God said, judgment is coming. Wrath is coming. Escape the wrath to come. The Lord told him of things not seen. And you know what motivated Noah to build the ark and into the ark? Fear of God's wrath. You know why people are not entering the ark of salvation today? You know why? 
to no longer have fear. How many people in here got saved because you feared God? When you heard the gospel message, you feared God. Don't put up your hand. I can't speak to the younger group, but I'll tell you the older ones who got saved. I can guarantee you. One of the major factors that moved you to faith and trust in Christ is because you feared the consequence of hell and judgment. But there's another generation that has come up that no longer has that fear. Because the church has stripped that fear from their mind. It's no longer preaching flee the wrath to come. It's no longer preaching repentance. And the gospel it preaches is not the true gospel. Consequently, the world is in the state that it's in. What the cause, pastor? What the mystery of this whole situation? There's no mystery to it. Go back to your Bible and see when the church came in the first century with all this pagan lifestyle. Read Romans chapter uh, 1 and see the 19 different sins, including lesbianism and homosexuality. It's all there. Find out why, why, why Paul? Paul said, let me tell you why. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So now we find ourselves in another world where the same things that the, the gospel dealt with and toppled. Now these are now resurging themselves. And you ask, why? There's only one reason. There's no fear of God before their eyes. So one of the great things that we need to do as a church, as pastors, is to once again go back to what I call the theology of fear. And once again reassert that this is a valuable tool in our evangelism. I will deal with that next time. Uh, but I will, will stop here uh, this morning. But I would say one thing just before I close. And I want you to answer it in your heart. Here's the question. What is the foundation? What is the foundation of moral and spiritual understanding? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Moral and spiritual knowledge. Not intellectual knowledge. That's the foundation. So if we're going to bring a generation back under the moral authority of God and with a spiritual understanding, it must start with the fear of the Lord. Does that make sense? Am I making sense this morning or not? You know, if you don't feel I'm making sense, tell me you're not making sense, man. Look, I've had enough time to look at this thing from a pastoral point of view. I've had enough time to look at it. And I've realized how we got here. And if we're going to change it, we've got to bring back in the church and outside the church this element of fearing God. We'll discuss how we can do that in the next sermon. But I want you as a believer here this morning to be thinking about what I've said. Don't, don't just, listen, don't just come in here this morning and say, you know, the pastor speak. But I, listen, I am really trying to get you to understand we must not throw up our arms in the air and say, well, it's a hopeless situation. That's not what we must do. The church has to respond to it.
Paul didn't put up his hand and throw up his hand. He said, well, if that's the case of the first Gentile world, I, I am not going to. No. He knew the situation. And that is why he addressed it. How does he address it? Romans. He brings men back to the idea that man is under divine wrath. He's going to come to the gospel in chapter 3. The last part of chapter 3 and chapter 4. But he must bring back this doctrine. Of wrath. We have a massive challenge. To do this. But you know who will be the ones that will oppose it most? Who do you think? Not the man in the world you know. The people in the church. You're too legalistic, pastor. You're preaching law. Well, the law is good if it is preached the way it should. See? And law must always precede grace, by the way. Could I give you a little secret? Yes. If you're not a Christian, you're still under law. Did you know that? When you become a, a believer, you now come under grace. Yes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for those who sat and listened. And we trust that in some measure, we have provoked them to think deeply, thoughtfully, on the human condition in this 21st century world. All the foundations are crumbling. The home, marriage, Children have lost respect for parents. Corruption at any level. In government, in society, in the church. The general malaise of spiritual indifference. And there's no mystery to all of this, Lord. Because your word helps us to understand how man can reach such a condition. In the words of the Apostle Paul and the words of the Prophet David, there is no fear of God before their eyes. The challenge that we as a church is faced with is how to restore that sense of fear in men that would curtail the decadence of our times. And motivate men to flee the wrath to come. And find safety in the ark of God. Would you help me. To be able. To use scripture. To show how we as a church. Can do this. Oh Lord. Help your ministry. Help your people. Help the remnant church that is remaining true to your word. Help us. Help us to find our security, our doctrine, our answers within the pages of scripture. You have not left your church an orphan church that doesn't have answers. You've sent your Holy Spirit to be the great teacher. And you have given to us and entrusted to us your word, which alone is truth. And you've asked us, as you've placed us on planet earth, to do the job of evangelism. To reach men, to be salt, to be light. 
May we search our hearts this morning and may we weep over the state of the church and the world. Break our hearts, God. Break them. Bring us back to your word, the teaching of your word, to be faithful stewards of it. And show us how best we can be that light and that salt while we remain here. Be with Grace Baptist Church and the members of Grace Baptist Church and any other church that stands strong and faithful to your word. Help us not to be intimidated, fearful. Help us not to compromise the truth for favors. Strengthen that which remains, O Lord. And would you be pleased that when we strive to become what we ought to be as a church, would you in your mercy pour forth a taste of revival, a renewing of the Holy Spirit's presence in the church? Set ablaze the church that it may set ablaze the world. But only if it redounds to your glory and not the popularity of men. Thank you for those who are here this morning. Speak and help people to respond as you have spoken. Whatever happens, may it happen as a result of the preach word. But may we not leave this place without carrying with us the weighty words of the Apostle Paul. And help us in our minds to think how we can change the situation. You do not reveal truth to us that we might just hear it. The intention is always to do it and to practice it. Show us how best we can do that. Finally, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that is not a Christian, not a believer, never come under the sense of divine wrath, the great danger, I just pray this morning that the Spirit of God would bring that conviction that would move them to faith and trust in Christ and repentance towards God. We just want to thank you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Be sure you join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us how the New Testament church used the fear of God in evangelism. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.